0: Are you ready to take full control of your physical, emotional, and spiritual health? Are you ready to experience great success in your life? Health Talk with Dr. Diane M.D. will teach you the tools and strategies to help you take control of your health and inspire you to live your best life. Now, here is your host, Dr. Diane A. Thompson, M.D.
1: Welcome to Health Talk with Dr. Diane M.D. This is a show that is designed with you in mind. I am your host, Dr. Diane A. Thompson M.D. And of course the goal here is to share accurate health information and provide you the inspiration that may help you to improve your health and your life. I appreciate you joining me each week as we continue to bring you the best and inspirational health information. The show is aired on WIGO 1570 AM in Atlanta and 95.1 FM KSBT Radio in Houston. All shows are aired and archived online on FMG Radio, Blog Talk Radio, Radio Invasion, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher Radio, iTunes, as well as YouTube. For details and times, please go to my website, at drdianethompson.com. And while you're there, please sign up for updates. We also have an active community over there at Facebook, and it's facebook.com forward slash Dr. Diane a thompson. Please come on over, like that page, leave a comment, ask a question. I would love to have you there. I'm also on Twitter, and that's at Dr. Diane md. that's D R d-i-a-n-e-m-d. The information provided on this broadcast is for educational purposes only and is not intended for diagnosis or treatment. Please seek the advice of your health care provider before making any changes to your health. Today we're going to be talking about fighting leukemia. I just want to share a little bit of the statistics with you. This comes from the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. It says that approximately every three minutes, one person in the United States is diagnosed with a blood cancer. And an estimated combined total of 156,420 people in the U.S. are expected to be diagnosed with leukemia, lymphoma, or myeloma in 2014. And I have experienced where A wonderful friend of mine uh, was diagnosed and within months, actually, she passed away with a diagnosis of leukemia, living a healthy life, enjoying herself. Actually, this woman was such an inspiration for me because she's someone who went back to college and got her associate degree when she was almost 70 years old and was just really enjoying herself, enjoying the latter part of her life. She had signed up for her bachelor's later on and I just she was such an inspiration and was just enjoying her life and one day got this diagnosis and a few months later, she had passed away. So for me, it's a personal thing. And I really wanted to share this information with you because, unfortunately, as you will hear in the interview, people of African descent were underrepresented when it comes to being a part of the registry. And so other people are out there looking for donors and they can never find one. And so we hope to Uh, highlight this information. We hope to provide you some education and encourage you to look a little more deeply and see how perhaps you can help. Well, my guest today is in the fight of her life. My guest is Dorothy Vernon Brown. And she has been diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia. And today we're going to talk a little bit about her experience, but we also have a call to action. And I know you, the listener out there, you have an integral role to play in what we're about to talk about. So, Dorothy, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you very much.
1: All right, so first of all, share with us a little bit about your background. Where are you from?
2: I am from Jamaica, so I would, I guess I'd now describe myself as a Jamaican-Canadian because I live in the Toronto area, but originally from Jamaica. I moved here uh, as a young adult, and uh, uh, Canada is now where I reside. But I am from the Paradise Island of Jamaica, and I have um, my family here. I have two young adults and a husband and... um, yeah, that I live in uh, beautiful Toronto, where we're now experiencing minus 21 degrees Celsius.
1: <laughs> yeah, that cold has been hitting many parts of this country right now. Tell us a little bit about what what was life like for you? Because, you know, we now know that you basically got this diagnosis, but what was going on in life? I mean, were you living life as usual? Were you having a happy life? What was life like for you?
2: Oh, my gosh. Uh, People who know me describe me as unstoppable Uh, And I still try to be unstoppable. I mean, this is a glitch in the road. So prior to the diagnosis, which is just part of my life's journey, I actually uh, ran a small business. So I'm a marketing consultant by professional. That's my background and training. So I ran uh, AKB Small Business Marketing. So I really consulted for small businesses in the Greater Toronto area. And uh, I had a happy, fulfilling life. Um, People, my friends and my family called me crazy. I just, prior to diagnosis, probably a couple months, I had walked uh, on the edge of the CN Tower. And I'm not sure if your listeners are familiar with the CN towers. It's hundreds of feet above the ground. And uh, Crazy Me took that challenge on as uh, a way to defy, you know, of just really living your life. I was very, I'm a very active volunteer, so I volunteered in the community and also at my church, began um, a non-profit organization here in Toronto for, called ProJam for people from the island, particularly Jamaica, to, who who relocated to Canada to help them to, to integrate and to settle. So I was pretty, I was very, very active in the community at, with my family and my church. And um, so I had a very, very full life. I sat on the board of uh, the Canadian Association of um, Women Entrepreneurs and Executives in Canada. I also was president of a local um, chapter of BNI. So I was, had a full schedule and uh, live a very active life.
1: Wow. So family life, professional woman, volunteer, doing well in your life. So share with us then what happened around the time of your diagnosis. What were you experiencing?
2: Uh, So, ironically, I had just returned from Jamaica and uh, about a week or so after, there was an unexplained bruise on my left leg. Um, It was was large and it was noticeable and so, as I said, it was unexplained. I could not find any reason why it should be there. And I thought it best to uh, get it checked out uh, by my family doctor. I went. I called up her office, and she wasn't in office actually. And uh, they asked me if I wanted to wait. And somehow I said no. I would here in Canada. We have a social health system, so we could just walk into what we call a walk-in clinic, which is what I did, which was close to home. I went. Saw a doctor and immediately they said the best thing to do is get blood work done which is what i went and and did the very same day and um, in the evening of that day i got a call to stop in uh, at the clinic because they wanted to speak with me and the strangest thing i thought nothing of that call nothing at all went through my mind and when I got to the clinic, the, the doctor on, on, on duty asked me to sit and ask if I had family with me, which I thought was a little strange, if, meaning, you know, if I, I wondered if I had family here in the country with me or what. And then he turned to me and said, I think you have leukemia. Of course, time stood still, and I, as most, I guess, patients, when they hear that, would ask, do are you sure you have the right file because nothing to that point indicated any health issues i had lived a completely healthy life to that point um i not even as much as got a cold i at that point i didn't even take the flu shot because and i was pretty much always healthy and so that was very shocking, as you can imagine. So that, up until that point, I had had complete health, no history, and it, there's no history of cancer in my family. And so it was. And my father had lived until almost a hundred. He died two to three weeks before he was a hundred. My mother, 85 at the time, was enjoying uh, reasonably good health as well. And so it was. completely from the left field because, you know, I couldn't have thought that this diagnosis would have been mine.
1: I often wonder what a patient really goes through when they get such a diagnosis. You mentioned that time stood still. Did you immediately go into denial? Did you go into panic? Did you go into that fighter mode and say, well, I'm going to fight this? or, Or did it just take a moment to absorb what was going on like what was your mindset like when you got that diagnosis
2: I had a moment and I the doctor suggested that I call my husband because he I needed to go to the hospital right away because with leukemia your pounds go so low you need to either get some transfusion or something and in Canada it was it was coming up to one of our statutory holidays it was the weekend coming up and he wanted to ensure that I was seen and got whatever treatment and so I had to call my husband who uh, was in another part of the city to uh, to come home right away I managed to drive home and I, I held it together because I, I tend to have more of a calm personality but my daughter I, I, I my daughter was with me and she says mom you can't cry you can't cry
1: and how so old I is couldn't. your daughter
2: at the time she was 17 okay and she said, you can't cry. And I couldn't. And I managed to drive home quite calmly. And um, and then my husband came after, and uh, we went to the hospital. So um, I had to be calm. I had to keep shifting. And um, I, I don't think it really hit me because I don't think... Under normal circumstances, hearing that news, you would want to fall apart. And somehow, maybe because my daughter said to me, you can't cry, Mom, I had to hold it together
1: to get home. I'm so happy that you had that support there with you because there are patients who, you know, they hear that and they're by themselves, and that I can imagine would be such a horrible load to bear as they're going home. I did want to highlight something you said and uh, because we have people who are listening and some of them have been on them about, you know, making sure that they follow up with things. One of the things you said was that, you know, you saw the bruise, you saw something was wrong and you went and checked it out right away. And again, you know, a lesson for listeners to take away. When you do see things that are not the norm, don't sit with it and, Try to see if it will go away on its own. Go and get it checked out. It's better you go and it's nothing than you stay home with it and it's actually something.
0: Do you want to learn how to live a healthy, happy, and inspired life? Then listen to Health Talk with Dr. Diane M.D. Thursdays from 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here on Atlanta's Incredible Radio, 1570 AM WIGO.
1: Listen to Health Talk with Dr. Diane MD for tools and strategies to live a healthy, happy, and successful life. For details, go to drdianethompson.com. That's drdianethompson.com. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Diane a. Thompson. So let's talk a little bit about your experience in terms of the treatments you've had so far. How are things going? What are the treatments you've had? How how effective have they been?
2: Well, um, so I was diagnosed in August of 2013, and I went into treatment in September. And with leukemia treatment here in Canada, you are hospitalized for 30 days once you've been administered the conventional chemotherapy drugs, you are in the hospital and you're watched. So that treatment went well. I went into remission for a while. And while in remission, so I was in remission for about 10 months. And while there, I was able to regain my strength, regain full activities of life and so on and so forth. Now, with AML, the statistics is that it is very likely Return in a year or so if you don't get a stem cell transplant, and because I didn't get a stem cell transplant, my I was banking on um, the chemotherapy drugs to work for for a significant length of time. Regrettably, that was not the case. So there was a relapse, and and I had to go back into treatment to keep this in remission in the hopes of finding a stem cell donor to uh, make that transfer of, of stem cells from, from unhealthy stem cells, that's what leukemia stem cells are, to a healthy stem cells from a, a, an unrelated donor. So during, when you're in limbo and if the disease returns, the next course of action or the protocol is to, if the patient agrees, is to re-induct you with more chemotherapy drugs, which is which has been the case for me and, and again I'm back in remission, working feverishly to find an unrelated donor because none of my siblings uh, was a match for me and in leukemia cases, if you are in need of a stem cell transplant, they first look to your siblings. I have four siblings and none. Um, was a match which is not an uncommon thing uh, which is what I'd like your listeners to understand is that in this case when they look for a, a related match it's a twenty five to thirty percent chance that you will find one in your family and so those of us who have not had that good fortune of finding one in our family has to go to a donor base um, and try to find my twin so i'm pretty much looking for a twin to become a donor for me and that has not been the case for over a year now and uh so i'm waiting and hoping that um the disease stays in remission while i while i'm waiting to get a transplant
1: so you've looked in canada you've looked in jamaica and the u.s as well what what has been the experience in terms of looking for a donor
2: Okay we've looked so once you're part of the, the, the donor uh, registry, they have like Canadian Blood services is the owner and operator of one Match Canada they are the ones that take care of stem cell registration and they have access to uh, over seventy registries worldwide, including the registry in Be the match in, in the US They also have access to over 8, about eight million potential donors worldwide what see and there's still no match what I like your listeners to understand is that this is pretty much to find a d your DNA that's similar to yours or, or identical to yours is looking for a needle in a haystack you're statistically you're looking at one in ten thousand finding one donor in ten thousand so it is a real Uphill climb, and it, it becomes even harder. African Americans, African Canadians, once you have an African heritage, that battle is even more uh, difficult because we're not, we don't tend to be registrants in that in, in the registry. In the U.S., I think the statistics is about six to seven percent of African Americans are. In, the, in your visa match registry. In Canada, it's 1%. So statistically, the odds are against uh, leukemia patients who are in need of a donor. And for that reason, In terms of the search that we have started, we have gone far and wide in our community here in Canada, in the U.S., and by social media, extended it to the U.S. and to the U.K. to implore people of that heritage, with that African-American, African, whatever heritage, once you have that kind of heritage, please become donors in the registry. People's lives are, are in the balance. And we just are in need of somebody to step up, you know, to, to become donors or to, to, to help us to, to, to deliver, to see our kids graduate. We're, we're, we're significantly in need of, of people to step up because the percentages are so low in the registries.
1: And you're correct. Even in this country, we do know that people of African ancestry are underrepresented when it comes to the bone marrow registry and also the different things such as even research, being involved with research. And so many times when results come about it doesn't represent us because many of us aren't a part of those research or we're not a part of uh, different registries. But you mentioned uh, that the percentage in Canada is very, very low. And I'm just wondering in terms of your opinion, why is this? Is this uh, lack of knowledge? Is it fear? Is, what, what is it that you feel that it's so low?
2: Uh, we um, have having been out in the field for well over a year just having our own uh, campaign to find a a stem cell donor for me. What we find is first and foremost, as you've mentioned, it's the lack of awareness of the great impact of becoming a, a donor can have on someone's life. So they're not aware of donating stem cells or donating any other kinds of organs. And I think for us as Uh, for the Caribbean uh, nationals, uh, I can only speak well to that because it's what I know, I suspect it could be for other people, is that there is a kind of issue around not wanting to donate because, one, it's not our culture. It's not something that we have heard abandoned about or we've grown up with and a lot of people feel that they don't want to donate any body parts or any part of anything because they want to go back in inverted commas whole they they so that's some of the things that we we have encountered but a lot of it i would say a significant percentage of the the why people don't donate is that they are not aware of the importance and the impact and how easy and painless it is. So that's another thing is that they think it's a very painful process and that you are removing some part of their bones from the body which is not so. And I have to pause to to, to point out that what we don't realize is that stem cell donation is a cure for children with a sickle cell disease. And people with sickle cell disease tend to come from the African community and so it's even more important to get the message out of donating stem cells which is really a very easy and painless
1: process I you know I wanted to mention that um, a cousin of mine her father passed away many years ago Um, he was from Jamaica and I remember back then they wanted to test even siblings and They did not want to be tested because, as you said, this lack of knowledge, this fear. I remember people saying, oh, I don't want to catch anything by being tested. And so many of his siblings decided that they did not want to be tested. I remember people volunteered to fly them here to the U.S and they refused. And I remember thinking how sad that is. And and many of, as you said, this lack of knowledge is not a part of our culture. And this, you know, people aren't aware how helpful this could be. And for the record, I have been tested and I've actually coordinated a bone marrow drive when I was a medical student at the University of Maryland, because I know how important it is. And that's why I'm hoping to get people mobilized. As you're listening to this message, there are people out there, they are in need of your help. You can do this and actually help them to live a healthy life. Why don't you share with our listeners what testing
2: is like? Perfect. Well, first of all, I want to applaud you and thank you for doing that because it's people like you that give us hope. Um, And um, we really want to replicate more people like you across the world that is from the African American or African Canadian or wherever in the world they're found to get out there and to do something to help someone else. Because not only are we banking for now, we're also banking for
1: the future.
2: Because we have absolutely no clue what's coming around the corner for many of us.
1: You're correct about that.
2: Oh, absolutely. So we, we, we think we're doing it for me today. But we don't know which family member, or close friend, or relative we're doing it for tomorrow, because this is stored in the in the registry until someone uh, fits the bill for for a patient. So in terms of the process, so the first thing that happens is that they determine that you are first a healthy candidate for this. You need to fit a certain uh, criteria, and for Canada, the age range is 17 to 35 and i know in the u.s it's about 18 to somewhere in the 40s so your your span of of age is is, is a little longer than, than than ours so you need to fit within a certain age bracket uh for us you need to be of some of african heritage because we're trying to build that 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 donor registry bank And then once you pass through those initial, you pass those initial, I mean that you're healthy to move forward, it really is a quick swab of the cheeks. It's like taking a cotton swab and rolling it in the corners of your cheek to get a sample of your saliva to see if you are eligible to move forward. So that's the first thing, that they take that sample and they test it for um, if you're, you're eligible to be in that registry. And they keep that, uh, that we, we call it your, your buccal swab, for a time T if you become a fit for a patient. Now, if you become a fit, if you're a fit or you're a match for a patient, the next step is to actually re- get the stem cells from your body. Uh, there are two ways. That I'm aware that they do it. It's, one is the peripheral stem cell weight, and it, what they will do is they'll give you some kind of a medicine to um, stimulate the bone marrow to produce these stem cells. And they will take it like simply like taking, a, like you're drawing blood. They insert a needle in one arm and a needle in the other. They remove, they take, they tra- take your blood, extract the stem cell from the blood. Remove the stem cell and give you back the blood in the other arm. It's as easy as that. It's so painless. Uh, there are really no side effects. Uh, they just here. They will keep you for an hour or so to ensure that you're okay, as if you when you take blood, you know, where some people might get a little uh, dizzy or, or you know that kind of thing. So that's what it is. I know from in the most part about eighty five percent of the time that's. How they extract your stem cells the, the, next, the, the balance fifteen percent is through your hips, where they will uh, give you local anesthetic, they will so they're numbing the area, they will insert a needle, they will extract it, and then they will they'll take it from you. Uh, side effects is like you've fallen on ice, you've fallen, your bum sores a bit or your hip, and then you're back to normal in a couple of days For, in most cases. So it really, there is no major operation. They're not extracting any bones. They're not extracting any body parts. They're simply taking something through your blood and it's using a centrifugal machine and extracting the stem cells.
1: All right. And I was going to say we do have an oncologist coming on at a later show, who will also highlight a lot about this in terms of the whole testing process. If you're just joining us, uh, you're listening to Health Talk with Dr. Diane MD. My guest today is Dorothy Vernon Brown. And Dorothy has been diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia. And she is in need of a donor, as do many people out there. And we are trying to highlight this We're trying to let you know that you have a major role to play in this. Many times people don't become donors. They don't sign up. They don't get tested because they don't know. They are afraid. And we're letting you know that there's so many people out there who actually really need your help. So think of this as something that you really should do. There are people that could benefit from a simple thing as you going out there getting tested and getting in that donor pool. Um, Dorothy, you've, you've said it before, but I want you to share again. Um, what is your call to action? What do you want listeners to know, understand and do?
2: Uh, my call to action: If your your listeners are between the ages of eighteen to to forty, or if they're grandparents, their godmothers, they're, um, if they have children of African heritage who fit between fit that bill between eighteen and forty or forty five, if you're in the United States go to the website, BeTheMatch.com, and register to become stem cell donors. Encourage those people that you know to become stem cell donors. If you're your listeners, and I'm sure you have listeners across, um, are in Canada, if they're between 17 and 35, go to OneMatch.com and sign up to become donors or go to our website, donor drive four and that's the number for dorothy.org and sign up or uh, you can see the links of all the registries worldwide so wherever in the world you are if you are a young adult particularly male of african heritage if you're a mother if you're a father if you're a grandmother a grandfather a godmother a godfather listening to this right here and now Encourage your young people to do it. You, are, you will give the gift of life to one patient in need. And what I will say that many times that you sit on that registry for about seven years and you might never be a match because it's so difficult to, to find that identical, uh, call it DNA, for a patient that you might never ever. But the fact that you are willing to do something is enough comfort for us because we don't know. We never know who it will be next. it's not for me, it will be for somebody else down the road, and that's what we want. We want to increase the registry of, of, of people of African heritage because we are completely underrepresented, and there are people out there who could have second chances. I think of Robin Roberts. Um, Fortunately for her, her sister was her donor, and she's leading a very healthy and productive life today.
1: I couldn't have said it any better. I'm just curious, in terms of Jamaica, how have you guys or has anyone tapped into folks in Jamaica to be potential donor? I don't know if there's an actual registry there.
2: Uh, We have tapped into Jamaica. There's no registry in Jamaica or in the Caribbean. But we found a way, we did it privately. We found a, 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 U- a lab out in Portland, Oregon, to uh, sell us the kits and, and test do the HLA typing, they call it. So we've actually gone into Jamaica. We have done, held a swabbing event. We have another one to do. But of course, because we have done it privately, it's such an expensive undertaking. Each kit and testing is about $200, US and because it, we need a lot of numbers, so we've gone in and we've started the ball rolling, and as, as, as much as we can have those funds to buy more kits to get tested, then we'll keep going. But for the time being, we've already gone to Jamaica, and unfortunately my match has not yet been found, but I'm still very hopeful that it's out there. I only need one. The other person next to me only needs one. And every person that's hearing this and wants to do something is giving hope to all of
1: us in need. All right. And you, the listener out there, you may be that one. And hopefully someone listening in actually will think about probably some kind of funding for the Caribbean because you think about it, there's so many people there who could be potential donors. So hopefully someone will do something with that information. Dorothy, I'd like to leave my listeners with a tip of the week, something that they can use in their own lives right away to make their lives better. And I wonder, now you're going through this, you appear to be strong, you appear to be doing this well. Uh, Some people are going through less and they've fallen apart. And so I'm wondering for you, what is the one thing that has sustained you, uh, something that perhaps someone else listening in, going through their own fight, that something they could use?
2: I call call it my three Fs, faith, family, and friends. And that's what has sustained me. I've had overwhelming support, and I've really got to hold on to my faith. And that is what is sustaining me at this point.
1: Do you have a way for listeners to contact you? I know you share that information in terms of the donor sign-up, but is there any way they contact you? Do you have a social media contact information?
2: Yes. Uh, So we have a website and social media contact. It's DonorDriveForDorothy.org. We are on Twitter, DonorDriveForDorothy. We are on Facebook. We are on Instagram. Uh, You can get me at my email. It's Dorothy at DonorDriveForDorothy.org.
1: We'll make sure that all of those are also on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Dr. Diane A. Thompson. Well, Dorothy, thank you so much for being on the show. I really wish you the best of luck in finding your donor, finding your twin, as you put it. And I, again, encourage our listeners, uh, if you're sitting back, you know, many of you are thinking of ways that you can help someone else. This is an awesome way. You can save someone's life. You can save Dorothy's life. Maybe you are her optimal donor. You are her twin. So, again, thank you for being on the show, Dorothy, and please stay well.
2: Thank you so much in helping us to spread the word and get this out. Thank you very much.
1: You're welcome. And for our listeners, I'm going to leave you with the quote of the week. It says, you never know how strong you are until being strong is the only choice you have. Well, there you have it, another show where you've learned something new and you have an opportunity to do something. And again, remember, your health is your wealth, so please do something healthy for yourself. Until next time, everyone.
0: You have been listening to Health Talk with Dr. Diane M.D. on 1570 AM WIGO. Please tune in every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for the best and in inspirational health information. If you have missed any part of this broadcast, would like to find out more about Dr. Diane A. Thompson, or would like to receive her ebook on stress, please go to drdianethompson.com. That's drdianethompson.com. And like us on Facebook at facebook.com/drdianethompson. Remember, your health is your wealth. So do something healthy for yourself. Have a great evening.